Good morning. Let's turn to Ruth chapter 1. I love a narrative like this because I like to kind of enter into the story, kind of live it out in my mind at least. And I'd like for you to do that this morning with me. And I want you to think about the characters in the story of Ruth and which one of the characters best represents your life. Elimelech and his two sons, Naomi, Orpah, Ruth, or Boaz. Who best resembles your life? Let's see as we go through this this morning. So as we begin our study in the book of Ruth, we learn that Elimelech and his two sons and Naomi, his wife, uh, left the little town of Bethlehem, and they're heading towards the land of Moab. Why? Well, they were running from God. And God was disciplining Israel at the time because of her sin against him. She had wandered from him. The discipline was meant to bring her back to himself. And they wanted nothing to do with it. And so they ran the other way. And I just I said last week, and I said again this morning, but uh, uh, the fact is that what they suffered in the far country was far worse than had they stayed put and suffered the discipline that God intended for them in the land of Israel. If they had suffered with the people of God. Elimelech probably died prematurely. Certainly his sons did. So I hope that as you look at the characters of the book of Ruth, that you're not Elimelech or one of the two sons. And so far everybody is upright. They're not killed over dead. So there's hope for you that that's not who you are running from the Lord and taken out prematurely. Well, last week we ended our story with three widows at the side of a road, crying uh, in each other's arms. Each woman had endured the tragedy of losing her own husband, and their hearts were broken. But it was interesting that it was at that very time that God intersected the lives of all three women at the same time. And um, Naomi heard that God had forgiven his people, or her people, the, the Jews back in Israel, and that he had restored to them crops, that he had restored to them, that he'd taken away the famine, and that rain had come again, all under the direct hand of God and his provision for them. He caused rain to fall on the land, food was in abundant supply, the crops were growing well. She heard about it all the way in the land of Moab, not that far, it's only a couple days journey, but she heard about it and she remembered the goodness of God. And the goodness of God led her to repent and to turn from staying in Moab and she was now on her way back to Bethlehem in Israel. And it was at this point that God intersected the lives of Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And the day that God intersected their lives, transformed their lives, changed their lives forever. They were never the same again after this event. It impacted them for the rest of their lives. As a matter of fact, the choices of Ruth and Naomi impact us sitting here at Calvary Bible Chapel today. And so the decisions that we make in life are far-reaching, and they certainly were here. 
decisions were made. So let's take a look at each one individually. For Naomi, it led to repentance. She turned back to the Lord. She was like the prodigal son in a far country who finally came to his senses. He, he had been stripped of everything that he had gone out with, and he was slopping uh, for pigs, and he longed to eat their slop, uh, and he came to his senses, and he said, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. That's what he was going to say to his father. But here, Naomi had sinned, and she came to the end of herself. She was empty. And she uh, was like the prodigal, saying, I have sinned against heaven, and turning back to the welcoming arms of her God and her father. So, he had, um, so she had re- decided to return to the people of God. And her, and her decision really restored her fellowship with God. That choice she made at this moment in time was her restoration back to God. And so I want to ask you, does Naomi represent your life today? Have you come to the end of yourself and you're fed up with your sin, you're fed up with your life living the way you have, and you say, Lord, I'm coming home. That's repentance, and that's what happened in her life. Does Naomi represent your life today? For Orpah, it led to rejecting the one true and living God and returning to her own people and her own gods. And you know, there are people who hear the gospel message, they hear of salvation in, uh, in and through Jesus Christ, and they reject God when he intersects their life. Jesus said of the people of his day in Matthew 23, 37 and 38, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And you know, we never hear about Orpah again in the Scripture. That's it. And as far as we can tell, her decision led her to reject God and God's salvation and choose an eternity separated from God. And so I want to ask you this morning, are you like Orpah? You've rejected God. You say, well, I haven't rejected, rejected God. I just haven't you know, decided to believe. It's the same thing as rejecting him. And you're like Orpah in that sense. She went back to her, just her day-to-day living, just the way she always lived. But it led to her ultimate destruction, no doubt. And for Ruth, it led to her believing in the Lord and being saved. For she said to Naomi in uh, Ruth 1, But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. For Ruth, this meeting with God, as it were, this decision time, this crossroad that she came to, led to her salvation. And it led to her becoming, ultimately, the great-grandmother of King David. And it led to her, uh, uh, the Lord giving her a spot in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Ruth was saved. And so I ask you this morning, does Ruth, in this story that we're looking at, does Ruth represent your life this morning? 
Um, Does her character represent yours? God intersected three lives, same point in time in history. And I believe that many of you are at that same intersection in your life in some way. Uh, Now, how you respond to him, how you respond to him today, can change the entire course of your life here on earth and for eternity. Maybe you're like Naomi. God is calling you back to himself. Maybe you're like Orpah and Ruth, where you have an opportunity to trust the one true and living God. Don't be like Orpah, returning back to your old way. But be like Ruth, who was saved and uh, trusted the Lord for her salvation. Okay, so the story continues. Now we are down to two widows, Naomi and Ruth, and they're heading home. What would it be like to join them on this trip? Dusty road. Um, It's a two-day journey, normally. They might have taken three. Um, They didn't have anything to carry back home with them. So it, was, it wasn't difficult to walk it. But let's just say two or three days. And you're walking with them and you're listening in on the conversation that they're having as they go back to Bethlehem. And I have a feeling that Naomi was walking with a heavy heart and maybe dragging her feet just a little. Ruth, on the other hand, must have been absolutely filled with joy, overflowing because she just got saved, you know. And uh, she had come to know the one and true God, and she believed that he would care for her. Although Naomi was now headed back in the right direction, it seemed that she still had an attitude adjustment that needed to take place. And we're going to see that as we carry on with the story. Heavy heart, eyes filled with tears. I think Ruth was skipping all the way home. I really do. I think she was just like... You know, a deer prancing this way and that way, all the way home, doing the spins and all the rest of it. Uh, Jen's not here. Good. I'll tell another story on her. (laughs) So the night she trusted Christ as her Savior, it was so fun. You know, she's kind of a Facebook fanatic. And um, she no sooner walked down the driveway of our house where she had just trusted the Lord, and she posted immediately on Facebook, and the post said, Guess who just got saved tonight? Me! Followed by all kinds of exclamation marks. And I think Ruth was doing that kind of dance all the way to Bethlehem. Guess who just got saved today? Me! Ruth! And I'm saved and happy in Jesus. Uh, she didn't know Jesus yet. But happy in the Lord. So let's pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, there was excitement in the air when Ruth and, and Naomi came home. They didn't know Ruth yet, but they knew Naomi. And when they saw Naomi, it, more than a decade had passed. It was over ten years since they had last seen her. And they were just thrilled that she had come back 
uh, to be with them. They greeted her by name. Naomi! Naomi! Pleasant one. Oh, happy one. Our happy girl has come back home again. She says, stop calling me Naomi. I don't want to hear it because I'm not happy. And I want you to all know that. I just want you to know. I'm grumpy. I'm upset. Naomi means pleasant. And she knew the significance of her name. Every time she heard it, oh, happy one. And it was like the whole town was saying, our happy girl is back again. And it was like the whole town had broken out into song. Oh, happy day. You know? And she says, stop singing that song. I can't stand it. I have a new tune. In fact, first of all, I'm going to the county courthouse and I'm changing my name. Don't call me Pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Mara. What's Mara? Bitter. Bitter one. And God has afflicted me. And that's the reason I'm bitter. He's made me drink a bitter cup. Stop singing, oh, happy day. And instead, sing, oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I remember, this is a a true story, actually. I've probably told you this before, but my mom and I were having a little spat. I was a teenager. I was learning the piano and all the rest of it. And all the way home Sunday from church, she had kind of given me a chewing out and got in the door. She said, make sure you practice your piano, too. And marched off to the kitchen. And I sat down at the piano. And the song I really had to learn was, Oh, nobody knows trouble I've seen. And she burst out laughing and everything was fine. And it's been fine ever since. I just want you to know. Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. I'm bitter. I'm bitter. God has made me, or God has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full. And the Lord has brought me back home again empty. Well, Naomi is having a serious pity party here. And she's like many people who become angry with God when things don't go the way they expect. And you know, usually people become most angry with God right at the time when God wants to bless them. It's true. It's really true. If she could just stand on the tiptoes of faith and look over the fence of her problems, she would see that God is actually staging the greatest possible blessing that he could give her. And she didn't see it. She wasn't looking over the fence. She was looking down at the sewer in front of her, of her own life. And she said, I went out full. The Lord has brought me back empty. God is about to bless her beyond her wildest imagination. Did she forget why she had left Bethlehem? The Lord has made me bitter. Really, Naomi, you really did this to yourself. She went out trying to escape from God's hand of correction, but all of the people of Bethlehem had stayed, went through the correction, and learned from it. And she and her husband and their two boys slipped out the back door. They didn't want any part of this. They went out full. That is, they took everything with them. She had a husband. She had boy, you know, two boys. And she had all of her goods. They left because they didn't want to suffer with the people of God. And now she's coming back empty. What does that mean? She has no husband. She has no children. She has no money. She has nothing. She's widowed, childless, poor, empty. And she's saying this 
And one of the greatest blessings that God has given to her is standing right next to her. And her name is Ruth. This is the same woman who just said to her two or three days earlier, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. I will be there for you. I'll be everything to you. I will follow you. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. I'm dedicating my life to you forever. I think she forgot. A faithful, jubilant daughter-in-law who had devoted herself to Naomi. Well, you know, if this story ended at the end of chapter 1, it'd be kind of a miserable story. But when a person returns to the Lord, their fellowship is restored. And sometimes it takes a little while for them to have that attitude adjusted uh, correctly. And so, once again, she begins to enjoy the blessings from God. And God will actually take away the bitterness of her heart as we go through the rest of the story. Can I ask you a question? Is your heart bitter this morning? Why? Why? Why would it be bitter? God wants to bless you. And he's proven that to us over and over again. You say, well, life just isn't going the way I expected to. I'm no longer happy. Don't call me happy. Call me pouty face. Just call me sour looks. I'm going to keep complaining against God because things aren't going the way I expected. Brothers and sisters, we need to get on the tiptoes of faith and look over the fence at the other side. Because God wants to bless you beyond your wildest dreams. Do you have faith to believe that? Or are you going to be like Naomi? Stand on the tiptoes of faith and you'll see the blessing of God. Verse 22 is a transition from her bitterness to the open and generous hand of God. The last verse says, Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. What is harvest? Harvest is a time of abundance. Harvest is a time of blessing. We even celebrate it in this country. We call it Thanksgiving. Okay? It's a time of celebrating with thanks the abundance that God has given to us. That's when she came back. Not at Thanksgiving. This was actually probably March or April uh, in Israel. Barley harvest. That's the time of barley harvest. And um, she wasn't coming back empty. She was coming back to a God who had provided for every need she had. It was already there for her, waiting for her to show up. She's coming back to a full harvest. She's coming back to a people who love her. She's coming back home where she belongs. So as we move into chapter 2, we are now introduced to a new character. Um, His name is Boaz. So let's read about him. Ruth 2.1 There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. So I'm going to pause for a moment and explain what's going on here. There's a law in um, the Bible that God instructed the people of Israel to, to do. It's called, we'll call it the law of gleaning. And basically, well, let's take a look at it. Leviticus 19, 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall 
Uh, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So the Lord is instituting a practice in Israel. So if you own a farm and you have people go out to harvest your crops, they go out and they purposely miss the corners of the field. They purposely do that. Because God says that's reserved for the poor. That's reserved for the needy. Leave it alone. And as they gather up the stalks of grain and some of the heads fall off, they're to leave those behind as well. And they just keep walking along and gathering their stuff and and so on. But it's even more than that. Suppose they gathered these stalks and they started piling them together in the field, which is common practice, and then they'd go out and they'd gather the whole stalk and, and take it back to have it threshed. But they forgot something in the field. Are they to go back and get it? No. They're to leave that too. So we're going to, there's another passage, Leviticus 23, 22. We won't read that one. It's the same as we just read. But Deuteronomy 24 says this, 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this thing. You see, God is good, and God is kind, and he cares for the widow, the fatherless, and the stranger, the foreigners. Ruth was qualified on two counts. She was a stranger, she was a foreigner from Moab, and she was a widow. And so on both counts, she could go out there. She was doubly blessed in a sense. Naomi knew about the laws of gleaning, so she must have told Ruth. Ruth was a stranger to Israel. She wouldn't have known that law. That was not a law that was practiced by other countries. This was a law specific to Israel. And God had provided it for people who would, uh, who would have need. And so Ruth must have been told by Naomi about this. And so she asked to go out and glean after the reapers. Here is where we begin to see a change in Naomi. And it's encouraging to see this. The bitterness seems to have diminished as she realized that God has provided for her. The laws of gleaning are for her. She's a widow. And so when she left and she went out with her husband and her two sons, those laws never applied to her. She was full. But now she's coming back and she goes, oh, I'm now in a new category. I'm in a new position before the Lord. And the Lord has actually provided for me. He has written it in his law. God has provided for me. Oh, maybe there's not so much reason to be bitter after all. God has made provision for me. So she has a young and healthy, vibrant young daughter-in-law who's willing to go out in the field. That's pretty good. Out she goes. Well, here's where the story gets good. Ruth hears about God's word and she says, okay, I believe it. I'm going to act on what God has said. And out to the field she goes. You know, one of the biggest problems in the Christian life is that we see God's word and we don't act on it. We see it and we don't believe it. We see the promises of God that are meant for us and we say, oh, well, that must be for somebody else. (sighs) 
Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. You know, we're like that. But it's so wonderful to have Ruth there. She's a new believer and she's just so overflowing. God said that? It means me? I can go out there and get free food? Are you kidding? Let's do it. Boom. Out she goes. Trust God to direct my steps today, your steps today. So in faith, that's what it is. It's faith. You take God at His word. You believe it. You act on it. That's faith. And she went out. Well, that was an exercise of her own free will, wasn't it? But God is also sovereign. And so God not only took her free will, allowed her to make a free choice, now He takes her and He directs her, because she's going down this road. You've got the town of Bethlehem. It's a little town. Remember that from the song, right? A little town of Bethlehem. And she's walking out beyond the the, um, walls of Bethlehem, and she goes out to the harvest. Well, which, which field does she choose? Which one does she go to? There's a lot of fields out there. A lot of people own land and are harvesting that day. And out she goes. Um, and so God directed her steps to the very field that he had in mind for her. Now, I don't know how many fields she passed by. And we don't know why she selected that particular field. But it's clear to me from the rest of the story that God was directing every step she took, every decision that she made. And in the end, we can say that God sovereignly superintended her choice, and yet she had her own free will when she made a decision. That's how it works, folks. (laughs) Boaz was a near relative of Elimelech, and that's the field that she landed up uh, on. The fact is critical, obviously, to the rest of the story, and we'll, we'll touch on that later. Now, let's take a look at another, this new character that's been introduced to us, Boaz. What kind of a man is Boaz? So I'm going to tell you a little secret, in case you don't know the story already. The story ends with a wedding, okay? And I know all the ladies like weddings, and so do the guys, really. So I'm asking a question because I want uh, the ladies to think about what kind of a man you want to marry, if you're not already married. What kind of a man? What kind of a man was Boaz? And guys, whether you're married or not, does Boaz represent you? Is he the kind of character um, that represents you? Well, let's take a look at it. Number one, Boaz is a man who loves the Lord. So it says in verse 4, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. The first thing out of his mouth when he gets to work that morning is a blessing from the Lord to his, to his uh, servants or to his workers. Wow, that's wonderful. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that concerns him in life, apparently, is the Lord. That's a man who loves the Lord. The first thing that concerns him is the Lord. And they, with equal uh, faith respond to him and say and ask the Lord's blessing on their boss. And so he's really saying this. The Lord bless you. I want the Lord to watch over you today as you're working in the field. I want the Lord to keep you safe. I want him to to bless you abundantly and to bring in a good harvest. And he's really saying blessings on you as you go. And they said, "You know what? Blessings on you too." You know, you're a good boss. You're the kind of guy we like working for. God's blessing on you. 
When you show up at work in the morning, tomorrow morning, what's the first thought you have? Well, I wonder how the stock's doing, you know? Oh, I wonder what happened last night, you know? Um, oh, it's Monday. I've got to start another week, you know? What's your attitude as you go to work? As you, if you're the boss, are you there saying, hey, blessings on you, my crew. Blessings on you, my workers. Blessings on you. I'm going to cry out to God that he might bless you today. And if you're one of the workers, are you saying, hey, blessings on you, boss. May the Lord bless you this day. And I'm going to pray that the Lord will prosper you. I'm going to pray that the Lord will give you help. I'm going to pray that this company might do well. I mean, my, my livelihood's at stake too, obviously, if I'm a worker. But why not take away what's in it for you and pray for the blessing of others? That's what they did. It's great. I love it. You know, you want to solve um, union management issues? This is it right here. I want to bless you with the blessing of God. Okay, I want God's blessing on you too. Solved. Okay? No mediation. Nothing. It's just solved. In Numbers 6, 24, there's a wonderful blessing. And it says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. May God's face shine upon you. Wonderful. Okay, so Boaz was a man who loved the Lord. Well, another thing we see in verse 5 and so on is um, Boaz is attentive. Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is that? Okay, As somebody uh, uh, said in one of his commentaries, he says, I can't... I, I can't write this out the right way, but it would sound something like this. <laughs> okay. I think that's what he said. <laughs> Whose young woman is this? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, Is this the young Moabite woman who came back? Oh, sorry. It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. You know, I think... It was love at first sight. I really do. Do you believe in love at first sight? I do. Because it happened to me. I believe in love at first sight, in love at second sight, and third sight, and fourth sight. And for 30 years, every time, I still love her. I had prayed for a wife for close to five years. I knew what I was looking for. And the day I saw her, the moment I saw her, it was like the Lord had taken a two-by-four and hit me over the head and said, this is the woman you're going to marry. And I said, oh, be still my beating heart, you know. Well, you know, you love, love stories like that. And I think Boaz was like that too. He was an eligible bachelor. And yet there was nobody in Bethlehem for him, apparently. And I don't think he was any spring chicken here either because it says later in the book that he was an older man. But he faithfully waited for the Lord's provision, for the right one to come along. And when she did, the moment he saw her, I believe he knew it. I believe he knew that this was the woman. Now, there are problems that have to be resolved, which we'll see later. But that didn't change his affections. And he's attentive to, uh, to that. Um, 
Finally, here she is, placed by the hand of God in the field of Boaz. I love it. Like Boaz, when I saw Krista, my wife-to-be, and my wife now, I said, who is she? (laughs) Who is this woman? And when he found out, he was even more convinced than ever that she was the one for him. Why? Because he had already heard stories about her. He hadn't met her face to face. But listen, this was a small town. Remember, old little town of Bethlehem. And in a little town, news spreads fast. And here was Naomi back home and everybody's happy. But who's this kid with her? Who's this Moabite woman? Well, let me tell you about her. Now, while Naomi is grumbling and complaining, people are hearing about the wonderful thing that Ruth has done for her helping her, been attentive to her, and has dedicated her life to her. And they're going, wow, this is some gal. This is some catch. And I believe with all my heart that all the women who had single, uh, who had single uh, daughters were saying, <laughs> no, I mean, who had, who had single men, I should say, sons, were saying, this is a catch for my son. Were there cupids in little? T- yeah, I think so. Yeah, we know what you mean. I, I butchered that one. So what had he heard? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Some of you are waiting for your own Boaz. Some of you are waiting for your own Ruth. Be patient. The Lord knows what he's doing. Okay? Be patient. And he'll bring the right one for you. Third, Boaz is kind. Verse 7. And he said, please let, she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. And so she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap, and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. Boaz learned that Ruth sought permission to go into the fields and glean after the reapers. Now Boaz turns from his workers and he speaks face to face with Ruth and he speaks gently to her like a father to his own daughter. He invites her to continue to glean in his field. He says, don't go to any other field. Stay right here. We'll take care of you in this field. He protects her by encouraging her to work side by side with his women, his servant women that are already working the field, who know what they're doing. You work side by side with them. That way you'll benefit from their experience. And then he set boundaries for Ruth. And he said to the young men, you don't touch her. Don't you lay a hand on this woman. Don't even look sideways at her, okay? She's mine. He didn't say that. But that's why I think he had a little affection for her. Okay? Stay away from her. And then he provides for her physical needs. He says, the men will draw water, and you feel free to drink whatever water they draw. Okay? You take care, I'll take care of you. You know, I can't help but think about how the Lord cares for, her, cares for us, like Boaz cared for her. When we come to know him, he speaks kindly to us. The harshness of the law is gone. We come to know him, and just as the prodigal's father put a robe on his son and put a ring on his finger and put sandals on his feet and, and caused the uh, feast to be uh, 
uh, the table is going to be laden with a feast for his son. So the Lord is like that to us. When we come to him, he is abundantly gracious to us. It says in the scripture that he put a robe of righteousness on us. He shot our feet with the good news of the gospel. And there will be a feast spread for us, a table spread for us. The Lord is gracious. The Lord is kind. The Lord is generous to us. And the Lord encourages us to work in his, in his field and no other. Actually, the world has nothing to offer us. You can go out into the world and glean all you want. You're going to come back with dust. But you go into the Lord's field, and, and he promises us blessings some 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. I mean, that's like 10,000% blessing. Okay, it's beyond our wildest dreams. And he encourages us to work side by side with older men and older women. It says that in the scripture. Older women teach younger women. He said to Timothy, you know, seek faithful men that you can teach. And so we are to work alongside of those who are more experienced. That's God's way of protecting us and caring for us and providing for our spiritual needs. And then he sets boundaries around, around us and hedges us in and protects us from the evil one. He provides not only for our physical needs, for food and shelter, but he provides for all of our spiritual needs beside. And he causes us to lie down in green pastures and by still waters. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think Boaz was like the Lord. And I think he was really providing for Ruth this easy yoke, this light burden that she might benefit from all of the things that he has. Number four, Boaz demonstrates grace. So she fell on her face, verse 10, bowed down to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner. And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. The Lord repay your work, and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge." The grace of Boaz causes Ruth to gasp in amazement. Why would I find favor? Why would I find grace in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. And I think Boaz must have learned some very deep lessons about grace, probably from his parents. For you see, his father was Salmon. And you go, oh, his father was Salmon. Who's Salmon? Somebody you've probably never heard of. But I think you know his wife. Do you know who his wife was? His wife was Rahab. Rahab the harlot. Kind of moves me. Rahab the harlot from the city of Jericho... She was the one who sent the spies on their way. She was a Gentile. 
And she wasn't a good woman Gentile. Okay? And yet she had faith in God. And as a result of her faith in God, she was delivered when the whole town was demolished. God saved her soul. God saved her, delivered her, and then gave her a husband, and gave her a son. And her son, <laughs> this is the grace of God. Boaz. Sorry, it just makes me, it, it, it just <laughs> causes me to well out with tears. When I think of the, the kinds of conversations they must have had around the dinner table, and as the mother would say to her son, let me tell you again the story of how I came to know the Lord. Let me tell you again what happened to me. You want to hear about God's grace? I'm living proof of it. And let me tell you, I am too. When I think of what the Lord has done for me, wow. The grace of God. And so, Boaz knew something about grace. He had been taught it from his youth. And he knew how to demonstrate grace too. And here's this foreign woman, this Gentile, just like his mother. Maybe better character in some ways, but they both had faith in the same God, and they both had their sins forgiven, and they both were delivered, and Boaz is basically saying, look, I know what the God of heaven has done for my mother, and I know that the God of heaven can do it for you. Here's what he has in store for you. Well, that's a little side digression here, but I thought you might be interested in it. One of the things that this tells me is that even the Jews of this day recognize the fact that God saves not only the Jews, but he saves the Gentiles as well. Because we have two in this line right here, side by side, back to back. And I'm so glad that God's love is not limited to the Jews, but that it extended to us Gentiles as well. For God... So love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow, that includes everybody. The, lo the love of Boaz for Ruth is great, but it really doesn't compare to the love of God for us and for you and for me. And when I think, as the, the songwriter said, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burdens gladly bearing, wow, he bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. What a great God we have. What a great Lord, Jesus Christ. To think... As Ephesians 2 says, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What a comfort to know 
that we are no longer considered strangers and aliens from God, but we are embraced as part of the family of God. We are children of God brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can say with the psalmist in Psalm 16, 5, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Well, Boaz was a man of grace. Are you a man of grace, a woman of grace? Number five, Boaz loves Ruth. And believers, you are loved by our greater Boaz, the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the boldness of Ruth in verse 13. Not, barely out of his mouth does he say, look, I heard what you've done. I've, I've heard what you've done. I'm going to bless you. May the Lord bless you. And in Ruth uh, 2.13, it says, Then she said, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Child of God, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Boaz loves Ruth, but how much more the Lord loves you. The Lord loves me. Don't be afraid to ask great things from God. He is waiting there to bless you. He wants to bless you. And it's so wonderful to me that in verse 12, he's basically saying, look, I'm going to bless you. And she comes forth in verse 13 with great boldness and says, then bless me. I want your blessing. I want, uh, let me find favor in your sight. When you come to the Lord, are you asking for his favor? I hope you are. Lord, please show me your favor again today. Finally, Boaz answers Ruth beyond all she can ask or think. And I'm just going to read this to you and then we'll end with that. Um, Verse 14. Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, come here, eat of the bread. And dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers, and he passed parched grain to her. And she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. So this is like a doggy bag that she's going to take home. That's what that is. And when she arose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And let grain from the bundles fall purposefully or purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. I think, and I may be wrong on this, but I think that is about 30 pounds, something like that, which is a lot. Then she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and so she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she was satisfied. That's that doggy bag I was talking about. She didn't eat the whole thing, which she could have, but she saved some for her mother-in-law, and she brought it home as a, as a treat for her. Um, parched grain was already prepared. It had already been cooked. It was already, I think, baked is what it is. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where have you gleaned today, and where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. 
So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is a relation of ours, one of our close relatives. And you can just see the wheels turning in her head right now. And we're going to see why next week. But this change that's taking place in Naomi right here is really a change where she is beginning to see personally the blessing of God in her life and that she can go back to being called Naomi all over again. The pleasant one. Okay? Ruth the Moabitess said, He also said to me, You shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. So she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end of the barley harvest and wheat harvest, and she dwelt with her mother-in-law. The end of the barley harvest would be March or April. The end of the wheat harvest would be June or July. So she's there for months. So what we have in that last verse, we're kind of skipping through about a two- or three-month, four-month period, five-month period, something like that. Um. If Boaz wanted to bless Ruth to such an extent, how much do you think the Lord wants to bless you? The Bible tells us, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us, that's how much he wants to bless you. Let's pray. Lord, what a wonderful story, this story of Ruth. Lord, there's so much in it. We've skipped over so much, and yet we see, Lord, that Boaz, in a small way, represents what you're like towards us. Lord, you have blessed us by saving us, and you bless us by giving to us and providing for us and keeping us safe, keeping us from harm, keeping us from danger, and just piling up your blessings one after the other. Lord, how often we take them and we just don't say thanks. And we want to say thanks this morning. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. Thank you for being such a good and generous and kind God. Thank you so much for your loving kindness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.